This week on a lively experiment, the proposed state budget is out, drawing sharp reaction from lawmakers. And history is made again in Washington this week. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, former state representative Mike Marcello, Republican strategist Lisa Pelosi, and Brandon Bell, former chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's Lively. What a week it has been. We'll get to the impeachment trial of President Trump a little later. The biggest headline, though, came Thursday when governor's office released details of the proposed $10.2 billion budget for next year. The governor is relying on legislation that would legalize marijuana to help bridge a $200 million deficit, but leadership says legalizing pot will not happen this year. We'll get to that in a second. There's a lot of issues. Representative Marcello, you've looked at a budget or two over the years. Give me your general thoughts on this budget. Um, I, generally, I think I like her investments in education, uh, her investments in uh, improving state beaches and those things, but we do have a huge problem. The structural deficit is still there, about $240 million. And this budget relies on uh, a, a recreational marijuana, which the leadership of the General Assembly has already indicated that they weren't supportive. So I mean, and says so that's a $20 million hole you've got to... $22 million, dollars, but right out of the chute. So I think, uh, I think the legislature will take it, and I think they'll take some of the ideas. I think the car tax will remain. Um, I know that she tried to delay it a little bit. I think it's probably going st to stick with the speaker's uh, schedule. Um, but overall, um, I think um, she gets an A for optimism, uh, probably a, a B for... Um, uh, execution. Do you have a different grading? I do. <laughs> I do. This is an F all day long. I mean, the budget, she doesn't even address the budget hole. You know, uh, she, we keep spending more than we have, um, but she never wants to talk about it. But yet when she was doing pension reform, um, you know, she used to talk about truth and numbers all the time. But instead, it's, uh, you know, that now it's just about gimmicks and fees and, um, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, totally unrealistic. Um, you know, again, I think about New Hampshire, 1.3 million people, a $6 billion budget approximately. Delaware, um, you know, one, I think about a million people and about a $4.5 billion budget. We are less than a million people, a little less than a million people. We're 10, over $10 billion. Let that sink in. You were reading the budget stories last night, getting a little worked up there, young lady. Well, you know, for a number of weeks now, we've been hearing about that structural deficit would be, you know, 180, 200 million or whatever. You watched her State of the State on Tuesday, and you started, for me, watching it, I could hear the cash register going, cha-ching, cha-ching, every time we go. And so I thought, okay. And so could Speaker Mattiello. He did. And he said that he was trying to calculate, he was sitting there trying to calculate how much this is going to be. Then when the budget comes out, after hearing about this deficit that she didn't even mentioned during her state of the state that this budget increases more than two percent over last year I'm thinking wait a minute what are we doing here and we've talked so so much about we're in good times right now she said it we're in good times most jobs in history mm -hmm. uh, unemployment at, at its lowest in a number of years why can't we have a surplus you know, instead we have a deficit. Why are we not putting money aside? Because we know no matter what, in a few years or even sooner, 
the economy is going to go down, yeah. and then where are we going to be? Well, I, go ahead. I, I wonder what the state uh, deficit, state budget deficit would be if we didn't do pension reform. So um, I, she gets an A for that because we would be in a lot of worse shape. But again, again, it's a proposed budget. The legislature also is uh, has a role in this process, and they also have been passing budgets with structural deficits. So we, you know, it's a joint effort here. But besides joint effort, besides leaving out the budget hole, which is huge, as we just talked about, we are in the best of times. Like Lisa said, we are in the best of times. She said, "This is the." The best our economy has been, the best unemployment. She's not giving our president any credit for any of that, which she, he, she'd get because the national economy is that good. But again, we're first in, last out. When the economy does start to decrease a little bit, uh, what's going to happen to Rhode Island? We're I, in trouble. I had uh, the leadership of the General Assembly on last week, Joe Sicarci, House leader. I asked him, do we put money aside? for a rainy day fund. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, we're whatever the ratio should be for a reserve fund for bonding, I'm sure. But did they do this, say, okay, we're going to take 10, 20, 30 million dollars and put it aside this year. Did that go on yeah. when you were yeah, there? Yeah, constitutionally, I think we're required to have a budget reserve fund, and we do. I think we do. I know we do. Talk a little bit about the sausage making. That the sausage <laughs> making from what began at the beginning, particularly last year, because there was, a, I mean, to me, the budget, well, so 90, 95% of it is baked in. But the legislature rolled back the beach fees. They didn't continue the promise. And it seems this year it's the same thing. They said, well, the budget we're going to see at the end of the session is going to be a lot different. But it seems where the governor is and where they are, there doesn't seem to be a lot of communication to get to where it's ultimately going to be. Yeah, so, right? I mean, the budget will now get to the House Finance Committee. The, the, the leadership will hear from the individual members. Um, there are some good things that the membership, I'm sure, will support. The, the, the increase in education aid, as I said, the expansion of pre-K, I think that's probably a, a, a good start, a lot of, get a lot of support on the floor. Um, the marijuana actually does probably have some support on the floor, but it doesn't look like the leadership will support it. So now we're going to figure out how to close that hole, what they're going to cut, what they're going to add to. Um, so it'll be a long process, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, I, I do think that uh, the legislature and the governor need to be focusing on the structural deficit, but they inherited a structural deficit, and we've been doing it for year after year and year because we don't have the political will to make the hard decisions that need to be made. You know, and um, today's journal on Friday has a graph of what the budget's, the growth of the budget. So during the Chafee years, it's about here. And then when the Ramundo year started, here we're going up like this. So actually, I actually feel for the General Assembly because the, um, she is bringing back some uh, initiatives from last year that didn't go that the General Assembly rejected. They pretty clearly told her weeks ago on recreational marijuana, don't even put it in the budget. They, even, you know, they warned her. So now they have all these holes that they have to fill to move forward. I know we talk about a budget being um, the governor's priority, but a budget really should be the state's priority. And the best budget is when the General Assembly and the governor work together collectively to say, this is the direction we need to be going in, and this is where we need to be funding. Instead, what we're seeing is, this is her wish list, and then the General Assembly has to then pick it up and try to figure it out and, and patch it up and make sure it's balanced. It's, you know, it's worse, we were talking about recreational marijuana. She knows it's gonna go nowhere. She doesn't mention it the other night. I didn't watch her, but I, I'm told she didn't mention it. But it, 12 hours ago, she mentioned that she wants to do like New Hampshire liquor stores style, which no one else has. So let's try that. I, I believe she knows, she must know, she's a smart woman. She knows that it doesn't have a chance to pass. But she wants to be the first in the nation to introduce something because it's all about her national ambitions. Well, her mantra has been, it's not about the money. But if we were in, if, let's say we had a 50 or $100 million surplus now, God forbid, right? Do you think she'd be introducing legalized marijuana? 
if we didn't have the budget constraints that we had? Probably not. Nope. Probably so not. it is about the money, yeah. right? Of course it is. And she put $24 million from, from what I think I read this morning. Right, and a lot of that would be in the last four months because it would take right. of, of the budget. Okay, do you, do you ever wonder where that $10 billion is going? So this probably comes as little surprise. Health and Human Services, 42%, just under 42%. Education, just under 28%, general government almost 17%, and then transportation, public safety, and I see this little sliver of natural resources, 1.1%. Mm. And hasn't this been the problem that, you know, we had Leader Sakarchi last week, I don't mean to pick on him, but he said, a lot of people come to us and it's hard to say no. Well, health and human services, that takes up a huge chunk of the budget. Well, when budget. I was in the legislature, the, we, we expanded Medicaid. Uh, under Obamacare, we expanded Medicaid for all. So there's $25 million right there that we added to the budget uh, in one shot. And um, you know we obviously that carries over year to year. Now we have we have the, one of the highest percentage of, of of population that aren't having health insurance, which I think is a good thing. But you have to pay for it, and it's it hap healthcare happens to be one of those things that's very very expensive. And I, I like to speak to the education part. Um, when I was doing some research yesterday, I mistakenly pulled up her 2019 state of the state, and I was part a third of it through before I realized, oh, this this was last year. So it kind of <laughs> sounded a lot like you know this year. But when you had on the end of the year and you asked the panelists, what is the biggest story of 2019? I think collectively it was education, education. Mm -hmm. right? So, we, so she had her state of the state last year and here we are a year later. I'm looking for her to really to have a call to action. The state of the state gives her the ability to speak to the state and really um, bring everyone together and say, we really got to come behind to do this mm -hmm. because education is so important for our students. Last year, she proposed $30 million more for education. This year, she proposed $30 million more for education. Said so we're gonna do this, this, and this. And I'm thinking, where's the urgency? Where is the true plan of really trying to address, not just in the city of Providence, but schools throughout the state, if this is so important? And I found that lacking in her. In well, her. She did, in, in defense of the governor, she did say that the educational issue is not just a Providence issue, it is a statewide issue. And I think she's trying to address it with a statewide curriculum, and, and she's got a, a very aggressive, uh, educational commissioner, which she hasn't even been here a year yet, um, and the expansion of pre-K. So I think that all fit, fits into that. And the $30 million. But the problem is bigger than she's expressing to the state to really have people understand. In the city of Providence, in one grade, every classroom has a different curriculum. So you're talking about a statewide. How long is it ever going to take us to that to get there when we can't even get one you know, grade in Providence doing the same thing across and the board? And even with urgency, it's going to be one, two, three, five, ten years to turn it around. It she doesn't sound like she has a sense of urgency to me. And I, I, I could be the minority on that issue, like I am in the state on most issues, but she doesn't sound like she has a sense of urgency. She didn't. Um, she didn't make a bold argument to me. And like like Lisa said, I mean, I didn't know that it was the exact same amount from the year before, but it doesn't sound like a sense of urgency. And it, you know, if she said it's not just Providence, it's the whole state. Well, good. I'm glad somebody's recognizing that at this point because it is the whole state. One of the bold statements she did say is she would like to the state uh, by the end of this decade to be 100% renewable. Now, I don't know whether that's just state government, whatever they use, or whether it's all of us. I didn't really get that. That's an ambitious goal. I'm not sure how realistic it is. Yeah, so the, I think they were trying to narrow this down and say, well, if it's electricity, you right. know, maybe we can be, you know, for, for that going forward. But what, it, again, as you said, she wants us to be the first in the country to do that, and it's beyond ambitious. There's no other state out there trying to do it in the time frame that she's doing it. So a lot of it is coming through the solar farms. Mm -hmm. Think of the controversy that's been happening oh, yeah. about, you know, in Cranston, you know, where, where they've, or is it Johnston or whatever that one, Johnston. you know, that had it. So where we are right now to try to get there, 
what more needs to be done? Does it mean more solar farms? And where would they be placed? Mm -hmm. And how are people going to be reacting to the small state of Rhode Island needing how many of these to be able to achieve that goal of 100%? But it's also important, I think, for the governor to set a goal and have people driving towards that goal. So we might not meet it at the end of the driving decade. Driving with electric cars towards driving, the goal. Driving with electric cars. <laughs> But it's, you know, I mean, I, I applaud the governor for setting a goal. I hope the legislature worked towards that goal. It may not be reachable in 10 years, but we've got to, you know, we've got to start aligning our legislation, the tax incentives, whatever, need zoning reform but, to allow these kind of things. But, that, I mean, that's a, but a governor said Unrealistic. It's, no, no, it's no, ridiculous. No, no. It's beyond you know, some, ridiculous. You know, some people said going to the moon was unrealistic, you know, by when Kennedy said it. So you've got to set those goals and you've got to drive the, drive the state when, towards it. There's nothing wrong with that. you with the that. environment, you've got to do things cost effectively. Nobody likes to look at their bills. I know, I don't think anyone on the table, hopefully the viewers don't like to look Look at their energy bills and see the higher costs. You have to be realistic. Individuals could do a lot. They could put the solar panels on if they're allowed to. There's, there are things that they could do. Governor Mundo could do stuff, like for example, not flying on jet planes to fundraise all over the country. There, are, she could take electric trains. You know, there are things that she could do. But so, there's no way in 10 years we'll be 100%. So the so-called Rhode Island promise, uh, which is really taxpayer-funded tuition at CCRI, now the governor has put a lot of political capital in this, trying to expand it. It sunsets out this year. So uh, so the legislators have to make a decision on this. If you were still sitting there, would you vote for this to continue? Yes. Why yes. is that? I think it's, I think it's again, part of the whole educational strategy to, to improve our workforce development. I think it's part of a workforce development strategy. I think it's been a pretty successful program um, thus far. Um, again, it's much scaled down from what she originally proposed, but I think you know, giving someone a two-year opportunity to go to college two years after they finish high school for free um, is a good program. I know how you feel about it. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't changed. I have to tell you, and when she announced that she wanted to make it permanent, I thought, okay, members of the General Assembly, it's really time to do due diligence before you make a program that's been on a pilot. Because they've tripled to, their graduation rates to 18%. Last year she said quadruple. This year she said triple. But the point being, and the thing that's really bothered me about this, it's not means tested. So it means no right. matter what your family makes, you're going to get it. And what I want the General Assembly to, in their due diligence to really look at the students who have gone through this program, the ones who have graduated, how much were their parents making, and what were their grade point averages to begin with, more than likely, they would have gone to RIC or URI mm -hmm. and be in their third year now, two years, and to do that. So the so that great success so far might not be the what we're really trying to get at. All right, we got some other things to get to. Let me just do the lightning round here. We'll go very quick, quickly. <laughs> the state of the state is what? We're in trouble. The state of the state is what? Fragile. The state of the state is what? Good and improving. Oh, there we go. Well, it's diversity of opinion here. All right. We will be uh, discussing this in the weeks uh, and months to come. We may get back to it before the end of the show, although I have a feeling we have a couple other things to talk about. Um, what an interesting story Tim White, our colleague over at Target 12, had this week that uh, all of a sudden the convention center, which has not been audited for years, is under uh, audit. You know, Brandon, it's amazing. The Republicans had been suggesting this for years. You leave as chairman, and apparently they're taking up the suggestion. They, oh, apparently. Is um, it your successor that has such a... I, she's, she's a fabulous person and has fabulous ideas. I suggest that you uh, meet Susie Yankee if you haven't already and run for office as a Republican. But what I would say is, is that... Set the um, table on this story about sure. why there's the audit. Uh, that's a great question. I'm trying to figure out why there's an audit as well. Um, yes, we've been asking for an audit of the convention center. Um, we think that you know there's overspending, there's um, a lot of fraud and abuse and waste, and we've been asking for years. And apparently, um, Tim White and Ted Nisi, to their credit, discovered that there was an audit two days before Christmas that was ordered. 
uh, of everything at the convention center. And uh, it turns out that the chief of security at the convention center, who's a very close friend of the speaker, retired um, state trooper, retired state trooper, um, is apparently on on leave. He's uh, he was put on leave. Uh, by for whatever unknown reason at this point in time I'm sure it's known but it probably has to be verified and uh, and wow voila we have an audit after the speaker's friend gets in trouble um, now Larry Berman as spokesperson for the speaker um, I give him credit for reading all my press releases and looking at what the minority caucus has said he said the Republicans have been asking for years why are they upset and um, I would say, hey, Larry, take a look at my other press release. I've asked for a lot of other things, like fire uh, Montanaro and a few yeah, other don't things. Get so greedy you could do that. Don't, yeah, do, do a few other things. But look, you know, this guy is chief of security. He's supposed to be looking for trouble, and apparently he finds himself in trouble, and we have an audit. Yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions. I don't know where it's going to go. Uh, but I, I read the story. I have no idea. Um, I don't know where it's going to go. It doesn't look good, I will say that. Yeah, it's just a coincidence, the timing of it. So you I know, don't believe in coincidence. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's more to the story that needs to come out. We have to wait and see. All right, uh, we're going to do this early because I know we're going to have a lot of impeachment talk. Let's do outrages. Uh, we'll get to impeachment, and then we may have a couple of other lingering items. Um, Mr. Bell, do you have an outrage this week, or do you have a kudo? Are you happy? I'm happy to see you guys. I'm happy to be invited for the first time this year. Hope to be invited in the future, but maybe not after my outrage. Um, no, you know, back on that story that Tim and, and uh, Tim White and Ted Nisi broke this week, I was thinking about JCLS, the Joint Committee on Legislative Services, uh, which includes the Speaker, uh, the Senate President, the Majority Leader in the House, the Minority Leader in the in the House, and um, the Minority Leader in the Senate. Five people. Uh, apparently, uh, President uh, Ruggiero had no idea about the audit. And apparently, or I know, uh, because it was just reported, and I didn't ask it myself, but Minority Leader Blake Flippy had no idea. This is a committee that doesn't meet, that has a $50 million budget. So it's outrageous that Speaker Mattiello has control, arguably, of $10 billion, $10.2 billion, but has control over all $50 million without input from anyone else on this committee. This JCLS committee, Executive Director Frank Montanaro, needs to meet regularly. It hasn't met in years. They need to make decisions, and we need an investigation as to why this audit at the convention center is actually occurring. Is anybody taking minutes at those meetings, do you think? <laughs> Maybe not. Mike, what do you have? Um, so I have a kudos. I want to um, uh, recognize uh, the long service of uh, Associate Justice uh, Gilbert Deglia, who announced his retirement uh, in June. Full disclosure, I was his clerk uh, when I first got out of law school, uh, my, after my first summer of law school, uh, when he was a district court judge. Uh, Rhode, Island, uh, Rhode Island couldn't have a better uh, justice. Um, and this gives the governor an opportunity to appoint a Supreme Court, uh, to, someone to the Rhode Supreme Court, something that hasn't Which happened means in a very a long time. Which means a little bit of bartering going on. Brandon, are you throwing your name in? I'm throwing my name in. I'm not, that's why I wasn't outraged. <laughs> <laughs> but in Degley, I mean, I, and I remember him when he was a Republican, by the way. And I remember when he was on the district court. So, yes, I mean, he had there. district court superior. and then superior. And then he's been, you know, the years go by. It's yeah. like, oh, yeah, he started in the late 80s, so. Yep, the uh, the mo the model of judicial temperament and uh, knowledge. Uh, one of the yeah. one of the one of one of the finest uh, persons ever to serve on the bench. And what a, and without I don't want to cast aspersions on others, but sometimes they hang on a little too long. This is a good time to go out. He's Seventy eight years old. He's done his time. He's uh, still sharp. I, I see him once in a while. He still rides a train uh, back from uh, Providence yeah. to his hometown in Kingston every day. Yeah. Uh, or takes the bus. Is he using bus. that garage at Wakeford? <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's one I, of the I, three. I, I wish him well. Good. Lisa, what do you have to? Can I have two? Absolutely. Okay, so I want to do... Oh, I want <laughs> You're going to take away from the impeachment talk, okay, but Brandon's okay. fine so, with that. So the, the kudos go to the um, House Speaker, 
the House Majority Leader and the Senate President for being firm on recreational marijuana. I've been very strong on that. And when I see, you know, last week watching the show and seeing the, you know, Republican minority on both the House, I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm not a one-issue voter because I might change my party, right. you know, because I feel so strongly about it. My, my mm. outrage is bonding. So here we go again. The three bond issues that are being proposed now by the governor is about $270 million. And they're not just like a one-issue bond. She's putting four, five, six on one bond, you know, to make it easier, I think, for people to support it. When you look back over the past 10 years, the state of Rhode Island, the voters, have approved just about $1 billion dollars and bonding and now to go forward. I think we're just about, I know the, the treasurer has looked at this, I think we're just really bumping up against Your new the friend, max. Speaker Mattiello, expressed some concerns mm. about that too. He did. So I'm hoping, we, we had to rein it in because what we've learned about Rhode Island voters, when you put a bond issue they out, pass it. they pass they it. The pass only it. one that went down that I can remember was that Heritage Harbor. Yeah, yeah. Remember? Yes. Yes. I, I mean, don't think that's understood really, it. You know, the other thing is, that, look, this is not to pick on Trinity or the Philharmonic, which both do great jobs, but is should taxpayers be, and they're nonprofit organizations, I understand that, but it's six million dollars for those organizations. So I wonder, is that really what we should be bonding? And out? you know, people got to remember, bond money is not free money. Right. You know, credit we cards. have to we have to pay on it. And if we're going to be maxing out our credit card now in the good times of Rhode Island, what's going to happen in a few years? In the in the in the tougher times, we won't be able to go to the bond market right. to do our you know to fulfill our needs. And there's a school one, a school construction one coming. Two hundred fifty million. I suspect that these will get pared down by the legislature and even eliminated. That's generally what happens. Yeah, and I think what part of it is is that because I asked Seth Magaziner about this when they were talking about 250, 500, right. whatever, yeah. that we are rolling off some debt. So it's not like, well, wouldn't it be nice if we didn't bring on more? But it's not as if we're adding. So what I'd like to see is the study that says, okay, this is, and I know you do too, yes. this is the effect of it and how much have we rolled off that allows us to add more on. And I assume you guys yeah. face that all the time yes. when you were up there. But the bonds end up on the ballot. So yeah. well, they you end up on the ballot yeah. and they get passed well, well, overwhelmingly. Well, and, they, and voters approve them. So, I mean, you know, what, what is yeah, it? Yeah, but I, I don't mean, think voters... They it's don't not, it's not real money. Don't. I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy that. I, I don't buy that. If the voters approve them, they, that's their money. They approved it. I mean, you know, it's, it's not like they don't know what's going on. But, right. they, but they reject the Constitutional Convention. Well, that's a whole that's other, other story. All right. Who wants first crack at the impeachment discussion? Um... The, uh, the ceremony this week uh, of the impeachment articles, you know, I was trying to remember back to Bill Clinton, and maybe it was because I had twins who were two years old and I was, like, totally tied up with other things. I don't remember a lot of this stuff going on. I know it probably did back then, but, you know, Chief Justice Roberts comes over and he's like, oh, i got to walk across the street <laughs> in the swamp every day. Yeah. Um, Brandon, let me give you the first crack about where you think this is going to go. Pass. And let me ask Pass. you as a lawyer, <laughs> as a lawyer, sure. These guys put up their hand. They said we'll be impartial. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the stuff that is that the leader McConnell and, and uh, Senator Graham and others make it seem like it's going right through. Should there be witnesses? Should they make it like a real trial? You know, I don't know the answer. Mike's got a grin <laughs> on his face right now. Uh, he was going to ask you that question if I did. So as a lawyer who actually tries cases before juries uh, as fact finders, I find this to be quite different and I don't think that it's necessarily understood um, you know universally that this is a political process so being an impartial juror as a United States senator doesn't mean that you don't have any uh, that you don't know the obviously they know who the president is they know who the people are that are involved so that's the kind of impartial jury, juror 
jury that I want in a regular trial. So it's not like a regular trial. It, it is a, a political process. Um, do I think there should be witnesses? I think that needs to be determined by a majority of the of the Senate. <laughs> and if they decide that what there should about not the be witnesses, the president on obstruction of Congress, saying, "I think this is a sham," and even if it is, I think this is a sham. We're not going to cooperate at all. First Does that all, trouble you? It, no, I'll tell you what troubles me is that no one's giving credence to the fact that there's executive privilege and there's all kinds of legal arguments as to why people would not testify, you know, uh, conversations with the president, uh, memos, things right, of that Marcello nature. jumping. I've never had a trial without witnesses in my career as a lawyer, number one. I have. Num number two. Uh, as a defense attorney, we don't Number two, it, you know, it, the, what is a sham is the obstruction of the president from day one on this thing. This is serious stuff. I mean, we, we kid about it, but this really is serious stuff. Wh which one? Do you, are you saying when he first I'm, became I'm, president, I'm, you want to no, impeach no, him the no, first day? No, I'm just saying that impeachment process in general, this is serious stuff. It needs to be taken seriously. The Republican Party, in my, my opinion, has completely lost its grounding, its moral compass. It's become the party of Trump. They're all in. They're, thank God that we have Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who are at least trying to put the brakes on this and saying, look, you know what, this is, this is about fairness, this is about openness and transparency. Hopefully, they'll be able to call some witnesses. But you know, if, what, if you're innocent and you have a defense, I'm sure you tell your clients, put it on. Let's put the defense on. And it's, it's not happening. It's proven guilty is what I tell my clients. Well, and in this well, well, situation, this is not, this is, this right, is so not you're agreeing with me. No, no, this is not the standard. Yeah, yeah, as you know that. All right, agree with me. Two-thirds, two-thirds need. Okay, fellas. Let me just say, this whole process, no one's coming out ahead. The, the, the Democrats do not look good. The Republicans do not look Painting good. The pens the, out, right? Doing that. The president, and, and, the, and this is very bad for the country, what, what this is going through. You know, I, I believed in the process going forward. The way I'm looking at it, you know, we'll come, let it come to the Senate. I haven't seen anything that I think rises that he should be removed from office. And when we're probably going to have this go on into perhaps into February, mm -hmm. knowing that the November election is so close, yeah. let the people decide who should be in the White House, not members and the, of this. And the election. irony of this is that it actually probably helps Joe Biden, who's a big subject of who the impeachment, have to sit who in doesn't the have to chamber. sit in the Senate chamber like Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders and Klobuchar. He and has everyone free else. reign of Iowa and New Hampshire. He doesn't see any, but a lot of elbow room on the bus. I think his will judge this as, as, as President Trump being one of the most corrupt presidents in our history. I think the House did the right thing to impeach because we had to set a standard on this thing. And the, and the fact of the matter is, I, don't, I mean, the evidence, the, the, the text messages that came out recently, the, the, the witnesses who's now speaking, the, the Ukrainian gentleman. Oh, very I mean, credible, it, it, very it, credible. It, it, it really just is, is disturbing. At the same time, the president says, I don't know him. The guy worked for his exactly. father. Exactly. How do, you, how do you look at a guy who, and know whether he's telling the truth? You would agree that the president lies regularly. Would you agree with that? I agree that he's a, an incredible marketer. Answer the question. In marketing, it involves, unfortunately, involves that is the problem. So how do you know when he's lying and how he's not? It, 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 that is the problem. My fellow Republicans, who, I, who I, I think it's important to have a Republican Party, they just won't admit that this president lies every time he opens his mouth. And so it, if it the economy is good, that's okay. Right? And it has hurt the country. No, it has hurt the I country. didn't say that. But he'll be reelected because the economy is good. Well, we'll see. But again, if is there the fear of the Democrats? Let it go to the voters. If he is so corrupt, if he is the worst president in the history of our country, let the voters decide that and let that happen in a few months. But he's using a foreign power to influence the election that what you're saying is supposed to be let the voters decide. That's the problem. That's he's 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 using his office, the power of his office to to influence an election and bring dirt on his 
opponents through a foreign power. But that's the allegation. Of, that's right, the allegation. the allegation, and we can see a lot of gates were put up and people stopping him from doing what he wanted to do, so it didn't happen in the end. So, again, and you know what you said at the beginning, unfortunately, we are in such more of a partisan nature now than we were during the Bill Clinton trial. And I remember back then, it was more, you know, sit back, be objective. And if you remember, our Rhode Island Senator John Chafee voted against having um, the president. Yeah. There are some good Bill Republicans Clinton. in the Senate. I just Quickly. wish they would speak up. All right. That is all the time we have, folks. Boy, this was a quick 30 minutes. And thanks to Mike and Lisa and Brandon. You bring it every time you come, and we appreciate that. Folks, uh, you never know what's going to be happening between now and next week, but we'll have it all covered for you on Lively Experiment. Join us back here next week as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week, everybody. Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.